Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. It is with a certain sadness, a definite sadness, that I relate to you, which is something you probably already are aware of, a very, very sad moment in the history of the church, in the history of the world, really, actually. And that sad moment is the fact that just this past week, the great, great church, the mother church, basically the mother church of Christianity, one of the oldest ones still standing of the magnificent, magnificent churches of Christian history, that church has been reverted back to a mosque. The church I'm speaking about is Hagia Sophia, which means holy wisdom. It is in Istanbul, Turkey, which used to be called Constantinople. It was built, first of all, the first one was built by Constantine back in the fourth century. Then in the 6th century, it was rebuilt to the church that still stands today. Imagine, from the 6th century, uh, 1,500 years, it was built by the Emperor Justinian, and it was, in fact, still stands as the most magnificent church, Christian church, ever built by the hand of man through the inspiration of God, inspired by faith, of course. There are other magnificent churches, certainly St. Peter's in Rome, which is just a little bit bigger than Hagia Sophia, not much. But Hagia Sophia, Holy Wisdom, was a magnificent building, just magnificent. And it still stands to this day, huge, massive, massive columns of, of precious stones and gold and mosaics and painted icons and arches and chandeliers, and it was incredible. And that stood as the greatest church in all of Christianity. And from that church, because of that church, it went went on there, how it looked, the liturgy that went on in there, Russia, the whole region of Russia was converted to Christianity. That was in the 10th century because the prince sent these emissaries to find a religion for his people. And he sent them around to different religions and studied them. And when the emissaries from Russia came to Hagia Sophia, to Constantinople, and experienced the liturgy there, the story goes that they said, when they reported back, they said, when we 
attended that church in that liturgy, that Byzantine liturgy. We knew not whether we were in heaven or on earth. And so then the Prince Vladimir chose the Byzantine church to be the church of his country. The, the method of Christianity, the right of it, the form of it, the style of it for his nation, what we know today as Russia. So the church itself and what went on in there, its worship, converted a nation, a huge nation that then went on to have an incredible Christian heritage, which maybe partly explains why something so evil overtook that country, the communist ideology, the Soviet Union, an atheistic ideology that wreaked havoc in the church, sought to destroy the church. It's probably because th that church was so great. It was so rich in monasticism and iconography and liturgy, magnificent churches. The devil just couldn't let that stand, so he worked on it and worked on it, and finally set it into ruins. A remnant survived, and it has come out of those ruins, but has a long way to go. And that one church in the liturgy itself that went on in that church converted a nation, converted actually many. I owe my own religious heritage to that church because from Constantinople, from that center where that church was, missionaries were sent to the Slavic lands, and my heritage is Slavic. It's Ruthenian, which is an anglicized word for Rusin. It means the sons of Rus, the people of Rus. That's the people of Central Europe, the absolute epicenter of Europe, where Ukraine, Hungary, Slovakia all converged together. The people then, centuries ago, were called the people of Rus. They never had a country. They were, in a sense, almost like Slavic Palestinians. They, like the Palestinians even today, they are a peoples from a land of the Middle East, but never had their own nation. Israel was formed basically around them or on top of them. And that's why there's a lot of tension there. Well, for the Ruthenian people, the Rusin people, they never really had a nation. There were peoples that occupied an area, a territory in the Carpathian Mountains there at that epicenter of Europe, but they never really had their own country. Though they tried for a little bit, but Hitler took care of that. So what happened was other nations formed on top of the Rusin people. So the Rusin people then found themselves in several nations like Slovakia and Hungary, uh, Croatia, Ukraine. This is why my particular church, the Byzantine Ruthenian Church, the Ruthenian jurisdiction takes in people who have come from those various countries, although their actual blood heritage is Rusin. So from Constantinople and from the Church of Hagia Sophia, imagine nations were converted to Christianity. This is an example of what we talk about here, the, the power of the, the, I call it the genius of the Eastern churches. And in this program, Lie of the East, we try to promote the church breathing with two lungs, which means we have to, and, and, are, and are happy to, present the riches, the gifts of both churches, East and West, both lungs of the church, East and West. Primarily, we present the Eastern lung of the church and those riches there. And one of the riches there, I think that the, the genius, if I may say so, of the Eastern churches is living in the both and, integration, where everything kind of works together. You need it all. You need the music. You need the art, you need the liturgy, the text, the theology, the architecture. It all is wedded together, a synthesis of liturgy. And this may have been one of the things that impressed those emissaries from Vladimir, eventually became St. Vladimir, impressed them so much that they came back and that caused the whole nation of Russia to become Christian and follow the Byzantine style of Christianity. We call it today the Byzantine Rite. So it shows you the power of liturgy. The power of liturgy in its integration, when it's all done right, including the 
art and architecture all integrated together, that experience with that architecture, with that art, and it's all necessary. It's not just the people. A lot of times we say, oh, the church is, is the people. It's not so much the buildings. Well, not really. Yes, it is the people, but remember, God incarnates himself in people, but in other things as well. Even in, yes, even in physical structures like buildings that are done to reflect God, to make the incarnation of God present on earth. All the art and architecture of the Byzantine church is dedicated towards making the incarnation a reality, that we step into that reality of the invisible, become visible, heaven having touched earth and imbued the earth and this life with the glory of God. The architecture is essential. Because it gives you that sense. You know, God made us with five senses so we could experience Him. And we could see God, hear God, taste God, feel God. We could speak of God. We can receive Him with our mouth through the Eucharist. So our senses are there so that God can flow in and out of them. God can flow from us and God can flow into us through and through. That's why we have the senses. And so if we want to experience God, we have to do so in a way that appeals to all five senses that in turn will appeal to our heart, to our mind, our soul. And it's a total package. So our entire personhood is immersed in an experience of God that only liturgy can bring us. The stories of Hagia Sophia and the liturgies there were incredible. They'd have like 100 priests and 50 deacons and choirs and liturgies would go on and on. You know, at that time, you know, people like short homilies today. At that time, if they had priests there, they had several priests, each priest would get up and give a homily. Can you imagine that? The, the celebration just went all day. They were, they were timeless. Very Eastern characteristic, timeless. Just, just, just goes on and on. It loses all sense of time. Ceaseless prayer. Uniting ourselves with the endless eternal ongoing liturgy in heaven with the angels in the great heavenly liturgy. We unite ourselves with that timelessness in the liturgy that takes place on earth here in the church. And Hagia Sophia was the absolute example of that. Well, what happened was Islam, of course, developed in the seventh century and it spread largely by conquering by the sword. That is the truth. We're not PC here. We're BC. We're Byzantine Catholic. So I have to tell the truth the truth of history, whether we like it or not. And when it spread, carrying the sword with it, it eventually spread to what is today modern-day Turkey. And in 1453, the Ottoman Turks, who were Muslims, came into Constantinople, sacked it, came into the church of Hagia Sophia, and claimed it from that point on as a mosque. And they do that simply by saying a Muslim prayer. That makes the place a mosque. So they just basically took it as the spoils of war. The Sultan, he was a young man who conquered Constantinople, today modern-day Istanbul. He took that church as a spoil of war, as a reward, a sign, a trophy of his victory over Christianity. A sad day, and another sad day now. We're going to talk more about that when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. 
That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you Hi, I'm Bishop Earl Boyer for WJKNAM and W227BYFM, Good Shepherd Catholic Radio in Jackson, Michigan, and you're listening to Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyal, your host. Sad today. Sad, but of course, always hopeful. Always hopeful in the providence of God. Sad because the mother church of Christianity, and certainly the mother church of the Byzantine church, my church, Hagia Sophia, which means holy wisdom, was this past week returned to the status of a mosque. As I mentioned before the break, what happened was this magnificent church built in the 6th century was still standing in the 1500s, that's over a thousand years. And the Muslim, Ottoman Turks, who were Muslim, came into Constantinople, sacked it, and took over that church as a spoil of war, as a sign of victory, a trophy, and renamed it a mosque. In 1934, we fast forward many more centuries, in 1934, the head of the Ottoman Empire in Turkey, his name was Ataturk, he decided to be more open to the West, and also to try to keep some peace between the tension between Christians and Muslims at the time in his country. So he said, all right, Hagia Sophia, which was a Christian church, now turned into a mosque, stolen basically from the Christians, and turned into a mosque, that will now be a museum. And Ataturk said that we're going to be a secular country. In other words, he wouldn't even allow people to go around in clerical garb, any religion, in clerical garb as they walk through the cities of Turkey. And that rule still stands to this day. In fact, when I visited Turkey, went to see Hagia Sophia on our wonderful Orientali Lumen trips with our friend Jack Fiegel, who organizes them. You've heard about him on this program many times. When I went to go see that church for the first time, I, I can, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget walking into that church. We were not allowed to wear clerics. I couldn't wear my collar shirt or vestments or anything. And it was a museum, but it was a museum, but it was practically almost a mosque. You could tell that it was used as a mosque for many centuries because you had the minarets added to the original architecture. You had other Islamic symbols, little phrases that they write, and they hung them in that church. 
You had many of the magnificent icons covered over, whitewashed, although they've been in the process of revealing them again, because if there's nothing else to that, it's good for tourism. People want to come to see this magnificent art and this magnificent church. But as I walked in, and I was with several other priests, as we walked in, I'll never forget this, we spontaneously did the sign of the cross. It just something hit us that the spirit of that church, of those liturgies with a hundred priests and 50 deacons and the magnificent choir and the incense and the ongoing ceaseless prayer that converted a nation right there from that church, from the liturgy of that church, somehow that spirit still was there. We walked in and we automatically, we just spontaneously did the sign of the cross. We weren't supposed to make any prayerful gestures in there. It wasn't allowed. We couldn't even appear as men of the cloth. Well, no one was allowed in that place. We did have, though, a couple brave souls among us who did walk in there with their collars on, but fortunately they weren't apprehended or punished or anything. But the spirit of the magnificence of that church and the, the incarnational presence of God and the liturgy that connected the earth with heaven that went on in that church for centuries, the John Chrysostom's who preached from there, that spirit is still there and it's palpable and you feel it. And I was amazed at the massiveness of this church, the massive walls and arches, huge, huge. How did they build that back then without the modern day machines and computers and so on that we have today? How in the world? It has this magnificent, huge dome, central dome, and many interconnecting arches with pillars made of lapis lazuli and all kinds of precious stones and marbles and there's gold and there's silver and there's just it's just incredible and the scale of it and the acoustics because of the scale and the architecture is magnificent everything is magnificent about it and here when i went to see it it was just a museum and now this past week the head of turkey and their leading, their ruling council voted, or basically more so they mandated that this museum, once a Christian church and then once a mosque, would now be reverted to the status of a mosque. I don't know what that will mean. I visited a couple of times from our Orientali Lumen pilgrimages. I don't know now that it's a mosque if people will be allowed to see it, at least with as much freedom as they have. And ironically, there is the Blue Mosque just across the way from Hagia Sophia, and the Blue Mosque is a replica of Hagia Sophia. Not nearly as magnificent, but it's a replica because, you see, Islam did not have its own architecture for its mosques. It really didn't have an official architecture. When the Muslims saw Hagia Sophia, they copied that architecture for their mosques. And so the Blue Mosque, which is a magnificent piece of architecture because it replicates, just about replicates Hagia Sophia. Yeah, it's impressive. You couldn't help but be impressed with Hagia Sophia, no matter what you believed or didn't believe. So the Muslims adopted Byzantine architecture for the architecture of their mosques. Many times people will come to my church or pass by or they're, they'll ask me, well, where, where are you from, Father? Oh, I'm from the Annunciation of Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen on Wilcook Road. Oh, that one. Oh, I thought that was a mosque. We get that a lot because we have arches and domes in our church. And unfortunately, in our culture, because we have a certain ignorance about these matters, quite frankly, people associate arches and domes with mosques. 
But it's the other way around. Islam copied the Byzantine style of domes and architectures. The Byzantine style of domes and arches. The dome on Hagia Sophia was it's just huge. And it actually caved in a few times, some earthquakes and so on, and they rebuilt it. How in the world they rebuilt it in those days without the technology and machinery that we have is just incredible. Testimony to faith. And the way it's designed, as I mentioned, architecture is so essential to experience of heaven on earth, to liturgy. The dome is designed in such a way where it seems to float as if it's descending from heaven and lightly, hardly even touching the architecture on earth, the rest of the building, because it has these windows, arched windows that go all the way around the perimeter at the base of the dome. And when light shines in there, it it actually hides the bottom structure of the dome. So all you see is light. So it looks like the dome is just floating as if the dome were coming down from heaven and hasn't quite touched the earth yet. It's incredible to make a dome that size look light, like it's floating. But the Byzantines did it. Nearby Hagia Sophia is another, what's called a museum. It was a magnificent Christian church, not real huge. In fact, it's rather small, certainly in comparison to Hagia Sophia. But it is what I call the Sistine Chapel of Byzantine art. It's called Karia Jame. It's a museum now, or it's actually called the Kora Museum. It refers to, these words refer to uh, a church that is on the outside, because it's kind of a little outside the city, almost as if it's in the country. But it's still near Istanbul, formerly Constantinople. And in that church, which is now a museum, are the most magnificent pieces of Byzantine icon murals you'll ever see. They're just breathtaking. To me, they're works that are truly inspired, works of genius. It's like the Sistine Chapel. I go in the Sistine Chapel, and I am awed at that Western portrayal of the Incarnation by Michelangelo. I am also awed by the icon murals in Korea Jame, the Kora Museum. It is feared that this museum, once a great Christian church, it was really like a monastery, it'll be returned also to the status of a mosque. That's what the fear is. And if that's the case, there's a possibility that these magnificent, priceless, genius works of art may be whitewashed or covered up. I hope not. But Islam does not believe in imagery, not imagery involving human beings. They take that strict and also misinterpretation of the Bible it's where God says, do not make graven images in my name and worship them. Well, it's not what we do with Christian images. Images help to make God present. It aids us in our worship. It's not a substitute for God. It's not an idol. It's an incarnation. And we can do this by the simple fact that God himself became an image. He became real. We can see him, touch him. So therefore, we can paint him in imagery and not be worshiping false idols. So hopefully, if they turn this museum into a mosque, as they have turned Hagia Sophia, then they will not destroy or cover up the artwork. I don't think so, because if anything else, it's good for business. It's good for tourists. So maybe from that standpoint, because they have been uncovering a lot of the art in Hagia Sophia just for that reason as well. But there's still a chance, because the leader of Turkey, who initiated this takeover is 
a rather ardent Muslim himself. I wouldn't be surprised if he does order the icons to be whitewashed. That would certainly be a sad day for, for the earth, for the church, for the world. Certainly a sad day for me. I hope this program hasn't been too sad for you. hope it's been somewhat informative. I'll end on a happier note. Through it all, what we learn from this is that our kingdom, our home, is not of this earth. That everything will pass away. Even the most magnificent things human beings have ever made, such as Hagia Sophia. It doesn't excuse the fact that this great church was stolen from Christians. It doesn't excuse that. It's not being nonchalant. But it is being realistic and honest about our faith and about this world and the next life. Everything here is passing. Nothing is permanent, even the greatest of things, because our lasting home is in heaven. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. from around the world as it happens religious liberty immigration prayer plus daily reports from the white house capitol hill and rome get the catholic news perspective on the things that impact your life on the ewtn global catholic radio network thank you for listening next week we will return to the light of the east to learn more about annunciation byzantine catholic parish visit our website byzantinecatholic.com where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!